It's season two of the TX Waterpolo Podcast. I'm James, he's Joe, he's in San Antonio, and I'm actually in Dallas. We sort of swapped spots. Can you believe it's season two? This is Welcome. incredible. I know, it's season two. Welcome back to the podcast, James. Hey, thanks. About flying, flying first class and eating caviar for breakfast, all yeah, that good stuff. Exactly. Or, or I was driving in my pickup truck truck all over the south and actually enjoying every almost every moment of it except for a stretch of i-40 in tennessee which was a complete disaster but it was a great trip so i i, I have zero requ- regrets i have a tan i look a little you know socal like a, when i was growing up so you know and i got to see my in-laws who i really actually love very much that's that's might be a little unusual for people so james you're saying that you look like what you look like whenever you were growing up yeah, plus, you know, like 400 pounds, but yes. I, I didn't say it. I didn't say yeah. it. I, I, yeah. And I, all I did was allude to it. Hey, yeah. I, hey I, can, I can get on the treadmill here myself, so don't worry. But, um, but uh, no, are you glad to be back doing the podcast? Yeah. Well, it's a little early. We're recording it at, at 9 o'clock. We usually go like 1, and by that time, you know, the coffee is set in and all that. But uh, I'm I'm stoked to be back. There's a, a, just so much stuff to talk about, obviously. Um, both when I was gone and geez, I, I'm up here in Dallas for, um, this clinic, you know, so I have some, we'll talk about that later, but there's a, you know, there's four people from California here who uh, are worthy of interviewing. So I had a chance to do that at least for three of them. And the news is just breaking, uh, like all the time, like every day. So anyway, but in my, your, in your absence, so did you enjoy the pod specials? Which pod specials? I don't know what you're talking about, Joe. Well, the Mark Lawrence one, the yeah. Dewey and Kathy one, the Greg Mesco one. So no, there you go. I was, <laughs> you know, that yeah. I took enough of a break during my holiday to to quote edit unquote those things, which was really nothing more than clipping them and pushing them out as podcasts. So yeah, they were. I thought the, I thought your one with Dewey in particular. I really enjoyed that. He's uh, he has a lot to say. He has a lot to say, and I'll bet he has more to say about the whole situation at A&M and then what happened, uh, you know, later in his career as a coach and referee and all that. But, uh, um, it reminded me again of, uh, you know, just how vital A&M has been to the history of the sport and the state. And, uh, he really, uh, filled in, they both filled me in at least, uh, uh, you know, about what, what happened in the past. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was great going down kind of, kind of memory lane with Dewey and Kathy and, you know, it was good to catch up with Mark and Greg as well. And, uh, and I, and I hope people enjoyed it. Greg Maskell rocking the Bucky shirt. I think he was uh, he was up, upset that it wasn't going to be you know highly visible to all of our Texas listeners. But um, I guarantee you that he was if you didn't see the video. So he, he's a uh, he he is all in on Texas. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so how's again, the camp? Up there? So how's yeah. the camp? So it's a Tony Azevedo camp. Um, it's sponsored by thunder by pegasus they the have, tony azevedo camp with no we have with no tony azevedo with no tony azevedo yeah so um it, which he was supposed to come i think at some point but uh, for maybe a different event but i i think he got to occupy it but you know you can't complain adam wright head coach of ucla merrill moses maybe you know craig wilson to me is the best goalie in american history but merrill moses is way up there and uh, an assistant coach at pepperdine and then uh Maxwell Irving and um, Matt Farmer, Chicago guy, um, all of them. Well, the, the three of the four are from UCLA, so there's a little prejudice there. But anyway, they, they, they've been having a good time. We had very good conversations yesterday. The kids I saw were having an excellent time at, at Green Hill, and I'm going to go to the other pool later today. Um, but the, they are all in again on this uh, on teaching Texas, and, and they did. They said the same things that they often say when they come to the state. It's like, oh man, these kids are really great. So uh, I'm continually proud of the Texas Texas kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, um, I'm glad that Thunder and Pegasus kind of put that thing together. Uh, I know that there's some kids there from Austin and San Antonio and Houston as well. So I think there's what 65 total kids up there. So it's yeah. a it's a great little experience. It's kind of an event when we don't really have a whole lot of events going exactly. on right now. Exactly. You know, and uh, was it um I, I am I'm very happy that those guys were able to come and kind and kind of help out and teach and uh, and kind of teach the kids a little bit. So it's pretty amazing because I talked to the parents as well, and you, and the conversation is just nonstop about well what are we going to do like what's going to happen and um and the fact that this is something that these kids can actually do. In fact, some of them just openly told me, it's like, I, I, 
this was the first time I'd really done any shooting in like a month or two months. And it was was pretty, uh, pretty dire, but that's totally understandable. There's a lot of kids that are just completely out of shape and, you know, for good reason. So they're very, very happy to be back on the pool, at least messing around with their friends. And then there's, I assume there's also the big talk about what the big news of the day yesterday was the PAC 12 and the big 10 have suspended their, um, fall sports and they're yeah. hopefully going to reschedule those in the winter or spring and that includes football so including football yeah you had a pac-12 coach there so i mean it's definitely kind of interesting to kind of hear their perspective a little bit well this is uh, where things get a little interesting and maybe even confusing so merrill moses is an assistant at pepperdine and pepperdine is a member of the gcc the golden coast conference and they have been explicit about how their their season is going to be suspended, whereas the MPSF, where UCLA and Austin College play, have not been explicit about that. There's been no announcements whatsoever. Although Austin College has said that they were going to be pushing off their season. Well, and that's part of the point, right, is that uh, this it, it doesn't make sense to those of us who are sort of uh, standing back for a moment that uh, they haven't really just said that the, the season is suspended. And that might be forthcoming now that the Pac-12 has explicitly said that they're pushing off all their uh, or suspending all the sports in the fall. So I, I just can't Im- I'm going to talk to Adam later today and I just can't imagine um, he's he's probably never going to confirm or deny this, but that they're, they'll have a fall season at all. And, and that announcement should be forthcoming. Well, I'm just, I mean, I'm just saying that I think most of the schools have already pushed back their season. And I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios that they could do. They could do uh, uh, December, January, February for men and then do the women in March, April, May, June. Um, Or they can just do them at the same time all in the spring, which is going to be difficult if you coach both. So, I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios out there. And I'm just hoping that they will figure out a way to get a men's season in. You know, what what came up during the lunch, sort of generically, not anyone in particular, was that there are what water polo fans may not think about when this, all this is happening is how intertwined it is with other sports on campus, and so um, that is something I don't think that's been that's been sort of well, I haven't thought that through at all. I, I look at it in terms of water polo, but it's really not. It's about the entirety of the sports offering by any particular school, and it's sort of one of those things like. If women's volleyball is not playing, then water polo is not playing. Or, you know, you know what I mean? It's like it's it's all interconnected. Well, I mean, I think NCAA athletics, they try to treat their student athletes the same. So you get a football uh, player. Yes, they like the football is the sport like, you know, football, basketball are the sports that bring in the money and they help pay for all the other quote unquote sports out there. But I do believe most schools, most NCAA institutions they treat their student athletes the same across the board, whether you're a football player, basketball player, volleyball player, water polo player, swimmer, or what have you. And I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, this is a, this is kind of very, very interesting to see if, you know, are these sports going to be able to play? I mean, I would have to think that they're going to find a way to play college football somehow. They may not find a way to play, you know, volleyball or, or water polo, unfortunately. So, I think um, that's men's marble. Yeah. Yeah. But can you imagine if this entire season is just done and, uh, you know, there's a lot of worries, you know, they were cutting programs already and budgets are all up in the air. And um, so it's a, it's a dicey time. It's uh, it, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't like talking about it, but it's true. It's just a, you know, we're in unprecedented territory as we've said a billion times, but uh yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's it's not just in college that this is going to affect, yeah. but it's also going to affect, you know, is this going to alter the landscape for like high school football across the country? Yeah. yeah. Like if there's no college football, are you going to have high school football? Right. And I would have to say probably because they're completely different like kind of kind of entities. Right. So, um, you know, they like just like now with all the COVID stuff that's going on, you know, you know, what happens at UT and A&M isn't necessarily going to affect what happens at Round Rock ISD. Well, this is true. That's true. Okay. And everybody is making their own decisions kind of locally. So, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be different in Texas yeah, than it is in California. 
than it is in Florida and stuff like that. So okay. interesting to think how it works with all the pieces together. One of the one of the points of conversation yesterday, because we had parents, we had coaches, we had uh, you know from all over the state, different clubs, is it it ended up turning into a conversation about how different everybody's uh, institutions are. So you know, for yeah. me, we've been in the pool for a long time, we've been super fortunate, and then there are those who who just haven't. Like I talked to the kids from Southside, they haven't been into the in the pool in Pearland, and obviously since this all happened. And it's no, actually, no, they would yeah, uh, they got into the pool, but then they got out of the pool, and then they got back in the pool, then they got out of the pool. They've been going back and forth. Well, these kids people. may not have, because, you know, I love them, you know, but they uh, maybe they decided not to go at all. That's their problem. But, yeah, they it's it's just astounding how different it is across the state. Um, and oh, then yeah. also, this decision to me is uh, – it, it gives it, there it makes it questionable about jos i mean i have to say it you know there's there's just no way around it in the sense that uh, if the college well if the colleges in the state of california are following the rules that are set by the state of california and their local governments then it doesn't make sense that suddenly that that, that would there'd be exceptions for events that are hosted by usa water polo or anywhere else and so, anyway, I'm, this is my pessimistic side. I, well, I, I don't think there's going to be. I don't. I don't necessarily think that the colleges are necessarily following the rules of the local and state. I mean, yes, they are following those rules, but it's more about each. In, like, there is enough institutions in the Pac-12 that decided that we didn't want to play, so therefore the conference had to decide to push their sports back. So it's each institution, like. The Pac-12 can only do what their their member institutions want them to do. And as far as as uh, JOs is concerned, uh, JOs is still on, on the calendar, and the and the tournament is moving forward at this time. Right. It's really going to be up to the access of pools, and then yes. and then the people's willingness to uh, compete and travel to compete. So, I'm I'm telling you though, my conversations up here, I I know for a fact that their programs are following what's going on in LA County and so on. So I don't know whether Stanford's doing the same, but they they've got nothing going on at Stanford as far as I know. And oh, yeah, because because that facility is chosen to County, County. Yeah. and yeah and yeah and like and not to open up. Yeah. I mean that's yeah that's that's the one thing that I've told people. You know like um I've gotten the question on numerous occasions about why can't we play games. I see these youth basketball games going on. I see oh, these I youth know. volleyball games going on. I see all these stuff. And I agree. I mean, I see it every day. I go back and forth like, oh, yeah, oh, kind of let's go play. But I'm also like, oh, let's also be responsible. Because if if in order to have a tournament, okay, you have to – a club has to find a facility that is going to be willing to let them host a tournament, number one. And allow contact and allow like like yeah like the full and then they're gonna have to sit there and figure out okay what are the guidelines to host this tournament exactly okay so um, if you normally had the 50 minute time slots well now you might yeah well now you might need an hour and 10 minute time slots to allow for what are you gonna do during the warm up area and like teams coming and going what are you gonna do in the locker rooms what about like you know fans. In the stands down like down at the welcome to Texas shootout place, you could probably have a lot of social distancing because it's yeah, so open huge. air. It's yeah. huge, but in a facility that doesn't have a whole lot of stands, it's hard. You may not even be able to have parents there. Right. So, and then out like after you figure that out, then you have to figure out okay, well now I got to send out my stuff like all the information out to all the teams. Now I got to see who's going to enter. And let's just take Thunder for example. They're they're one of the bigger clubs. They might have normally like kind of under 10 teams now they might only enter two or three yeah yeah so therefore as a host you have you have you have to decide all right do do i want to host this tournament with only 10 teams when i need 20 teams yeah to break even yeah exactly i mean and that's difficult to sit there and go i'm gonna have a tournament and lose a couple thousand dollars (laughs) no so and uh, yeah. Especially in these times, whenever you know there's like you know a lot of these uh, clubs don't have a whole lot of money coming in right now anyway. Precisely. Well, I actually have some news along those lines that we can talk about next. Uh, the ODP changes, uh, and and I have some uh, some of those uh, an outline of the requirements that we're going to have to follow in order to host uh, an event, um, and we can talk about that right after this. All of TX Water Polo is brought to you advertising free, and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. 
Show your support by going to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can keep covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Hi, this is Brenda Villa, four-time Olympic medalist. And whenever I want to hear about Texas water polo, I tune in to the TX Water Polo Podcast. It's the TX Water Polo Podcast. We're back. Um, uh, more news about changes and stuff that's taking place in the zone. Um, I have some news, actually. So we changed uh, our first ODP camp because the UT Swim Center is not going to be available. And so, unfortunately, my pool in Round Rock, where my club practices, is available. So we switched that, that event to the following weekend, which is uh, September 26th and 27th, and split it so that the girls will go on the first day and the boys on the second um, in or, because it's a small pool, like there's not enough room for for everybody to be in there. But what I've just, what I found out from um, from Aquatex, which is the club that practices there, is that the parents are even allowed on the deck as long as they socially distance and because there's an, an enormous area with grass and sand and all that kind of stuff where they can go sit. And uh, as long as that's the case, then we are allowed to have parents there and. There's some chance that we'll be able to do full scrimmaging. Obviously, as long as you, you don't you don't let people just linger there for no reason during breaks in the scrimmage, but that we may actually be able to have body contact too. But um, I'm waiting for that stuff. But those are the terms under which we're going to be able to run that camp. And then, and what's up with the Houston camp in October? Yeah, so SciFair has canceled the, that that facility has canceled all aquatics events for the entirety of the fall. Um, there was a, they put it in terms of being competitive and ODP camps are not really competitive, but it's just everything. So, um, we are looking for other options in the Houston area. Uh, and so if you're listening and you have one of the pools down there, you can expect a call from me at some point. So, um, yeah, we're looking for other options. The good news is that the camp in Louisville is still on the calendar. It's, uh, you know, we talked about this off the air, but it's, it's as locked in as is possible under the conditions, you know, so I'm very, very pleased about that. Yeah, and then uh, because the same issue with the ODP camp in October in Houston with the Cypher location, they are not allowing outside renters or events happening. Exactly. Um, that's also when the Shark Fest was going to be October 3rd and 4th, along with the 18 and 1600 JO quals. So, so the Shark Fest is no more, and the 18 and 16 and under quals is to be determined the location. So Right. And then the same thing, because of the ODP is now moved to September 26th, 27th, um, we're going to have to find a different uh, a date and location for the NGO quals for the 14s and 12s as well. Yeah, I know. I was not happy so, about that, by the way. So we have to uh, we have to we have to uh, kind of figure out. And then also for the Armadillo Classic, that is supposed to be that weekend. I don't know if that's still going to happen. So as everybody knows, we we are kind of we live in a TBD world to be determined. So um, things things change on, on a daily basis or even between segments. So there let, you me, go. Let, let me <laughs> that's true. We just discovered that there's this conflict, I'm sure. And Joe's unhappy about that. So in case you changed it, in, in case you sense a tone and voice has changed, then that's why. I would say this, though. So talk, you and I both talk to parents all the time. And the one thing that I've never I haven't heard a single time ever since this all started was, oh, we're really upset that this thing got changed to some other time or some other place. I, I, I've never encountered it. Maybe they feel that way. But they've been very, very accommodating, given, you know, that everything's changing on the fly. No, I mean, and yeah, I mean. I think that's our society right now. Uh, you have to be flexible. You have to adjust and adapt. And I, I and I think the only thing that people have been uh, a little concerned with is like like they they understand, they agree, they they don't like it, but they just they just want to play. Yeah. They just they don't like they just don't understand why we can't play. So I mean, and and I don't. I mean, it's not that they don't understand. It's that they, they, they just, they just want their kids to be happy. They want and water polo makes their kids happy. They want them to play. Um, it's the whole thing with you know going back to school or not going back. To school. Exactly. So I mean, there are some people that are going to be um, okay with their kids playing and scrimmaging. 
and doing all that stuff. And there's gonna be others that are not gonna are gonna kind of want to keep their kids away from that at yep. this point. And and neither side's wrong. Um, it's what you feel best for your kids and your clubs and your athletes, et cetera. So. Yeah, that, that I have a bit of a personal story. I don't. I found out one of my athletes for my club actually tested positive on Monday, and um, I was going. Fortunately, for the sake of the COVID thing, she's not been at practice. She's a graduating senior. In fact, uh, she's one of my favorite players uh, on the team, and she's heading off to Arkansas to go to uh, for uh, to become an architect. Um, she hasn't been to practice for three, four weeks, but her sister has. And so I already have a couple of athletes who've uh, messaged and say, yeah, we're not going to come for an, a couple of weeks because of that. And fair enough. Like why, uh, you know, you can't possibly blame people to, to make those kinds of choices, but you're right. It's a, it just differs by family. Yeah. And then we, uh, we were, I was very happy that we had, uh, our, a couple of my development clubs, uh, Lone Star Water Polo. Yeah. And they like, a, they're in the middle of their combined camp this week or last week, this week up in North Texas at the Louisville ISD East Side Aquatic Center. So a lot of those kids were happy. We had about 50 kids out there. Oh, that's and, great. Up and ready to go. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, besides a couple knuckleheads that were knuckleheads before all this, and so I don't know why they're going to change. But um, oh, How can you say you know, about that? You know, everybody was doing a very good job. And, uh, and, and the kids are just excited to be back in the water. The first thing I told everybody, don't ask about scrimmage. <laughs> we're not going to scrimmage it's not going to happen okay so and then just one kid sarcastic just comes up to me at the end of practice hey coach joe are we going to scrimmage and then he smiles and walks away i go yeah go yeah go put on your mask and get picked up i don't want to see you anymore yeah like yeah. i lived um it's and it's just i mean it's good to see the kids play um i mean i, I got to be, get back out on the pool deck a little bit and um and uh and we're hopefully going to keep this rolling into the fall and keep them practicing. So are you successful in communicating clearly and loudly through that mask? Uh, yes. <laughs> I figured you'd be so effective that you could actually coach from San Antonio. That's how far you, you can. I am in San Antonio and the camp is going on this week in North Texas. So yeah, that's I how effective you, coach you are. Yeah. And no, but it's no, but it's no, but it's been a, a lot of fun. And, uh, um, it's just, uh, you know, there are there are people that you know. I mean, there's a few challenges, you know, kind of getting back in the water. But you know, there's challenges all like kind of all over the place. And it was kind of cool this past weekend on Saturday, John Abdu and and the high performance team kind of led a, uh, a online webinar and um, specifically for the physical distancing. Yeah, like the like the physical distancing practicing. Mm-hmm. Not the not the not, not the social distancing, but the but the physical distancing. Right. And um, it is a change of terminology. And um, and the really the big thing is you just got to be creative. Yeah. You have to be creative. And and I would like to consider myself a fairly kind of kind of kind of creative coach. And it's just you know you know things things that you normally kind of would have done you know at WIS you have to do in space now and. You can change it up to just like, you know, they think that they're doing something completely different when they're actually doing the same skill. You know, um, Don't tell them that. But like, you know, it's yeah, it's one of those things where you just got to be creative. And they had a and it, it was a great little webinar. And I'm sure that's available at the USA Water Polo uh, um, like uh, coaches app. And um, uh, was it um it was just a ton of great little drills and just concepts like and a lot of discussion too about uh, about everybody's different challenges and then some possible solutions back and forth so if coaches out there and club admins i would i would kind of kind of take an hour to go watch that because it's yeah. it, i mean you may pick up a few new things that 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 you want to do but the biggest thing again is just be creative do different things don't I mean just get out get get outside your comfort zone. It doesn't always have to be how you've done it before. No, no question. Actually, it can't be right now. It cannot be how kind of how you've done it before. And um and I'm and I'm kind of and I'm kind of looking forward to to I mean I already did some stuff uh, last week that was similar and I know those like our coaches are doing some different things this week. So um I'm just like you know. Every practice and every um, month, you're going to do a little bit more, a little bit more, and a little bit more. So, yeah, yeah. And then there's also a beginner referee clinic. You yeah, know, what's, what's that, that all about? That yeah, that that wants to just 
kind of kind of get online. Um, that's going to be on August 30th. It's going to be it's for a, a nationwide kind of audience, but we are one year away from UIL Fall 2021. Yeah, exactly. We're need a ton of referees. So um, if you have some friends that referee, if you have if you want a referee, come and learn. It's free. You don't have to be a USA Water Polo member. It's just a and it's a and it's a three hour uh, kind of webinar. It's going to be um, on Sunday, um, August 30th from 3 to 6 p.m. And, and it's on the Southwest Zone calendar. I, uh, Joe, and you I have just, to register. You do have to register. So go ahead and like kind of, kind of register again. It's free. You don't have to be a, a USA Water Polo member. But, you know, let's go. Let's get as many people out there as possible. I think I'm very, very quietly going to to log into that myself. I actually just bought a new pair of white shoes, Joe. So it, it could be I could be back on the deck with the whistle. I'm not sure yet. We'll figure that out. Well, you definitely have to go and get like I a do. little course then for sure. <laughs> no doubt about that. No, no knowing it. And and the wonderful thing now about clinics and such, you know, you go to a high school clinic. That's just like going to a, a U.S. water polo clinic. Yeah. It's just like going, or if you go to a USA water polo clinic, just like going to a high school clinic. Yep. I mean, it's because the rules are 95% the same now. And, um, and I'm really excited about that. And I do know that there's going to be more of these Texas specific too coming okay. up. Uh, yeah. Kind of, kind of whether it's the USA water polo track or um, the high school track. So right. I'm really excited to get a lot more people out on the pool deck and learning and being introduced to the sport and coming maybe from soccer or basketball and coming and refereeing water polo, um, coaches be nice, please. You know, you know, you gotta be nice. And, uh, and, uh, was it, um, you know, kind of once we get games, I think everybody's going to be in a much better attitude. They're, they're like, they're just gonna be happy playing. I think that's probably right. Like you're, there's yeah. going to be a bit of a, a, a respite, you know, and, and then, and then the second quarter conflict. Happens. And then yeah, exactly. The, and then the second quarter or the second game. Gets so, yeah, yeah. and then, um, and then for those that were like, are wondering, um, I know I announced this, um, on the town hall meetings and the coach coaches, we are on a bit of a zoom break right now for those. Yeah. We will restart the coaches, the coaches and the Southwest zone town hall meetings here in September. They won't be every week. They'll be every other week and they'll be in the evening time. So, um, but you know, we're just taking a bit of a zoom break, you know, mainly because everybody's going back to school and, you yeah. know, people just are a little zoomed out. I thought it was basically because, you know, you were kind of lazy. So, I mean, I, I, I understandably so, you know, but uh, apparently it's actually because people uh, are busy with other stuff to do. I mean, you didn't want to do any podcast the last no. three weeks and I did I three interviews. So there yeah. you go. No, uh, you're, you're the Iron Man. I don't know about lazy, so. <laughs> But, uh, but hey, I um, checked in enough to listen to what you did. That was good, right? You had to because you had to put it up on the website. So. Oh, you act as though I was forced to do it. And I was happy to do it. It was good. All right. Well, I am looking forward to the interviews. Yeah. So we are going to come back with a couple of them. I'm uh, speaking with uh, UCLA head coach Adam Wright later today, and uh, we'll have that next segment. And Pepperdine assistant coach Merrill Moses, a three-time Olympian, an NCAA MVP player, um, we covered a lot of really cool territory yesterday uh, about his career, and we will come back with that interview next. Hi, this is Natalie Benson, and you are listening to a podcast about water polo in Texas. Well, this is interesting. I'm in a car with Adam Wright, who is uh, pretty well known in the water polo community, but currently serves as the head coach at UCLA, three-time NCAA champion. I'm driving us back to his hotel, so I've never done a car interview before, but here we are. This is a so. But anyway, thanks for hopping in the car with me. No, I mean, look, it's, uh, for me, it's really exciting to be here in Texas. Um, you know, unfortunately, Tony and I couldn't come out in May. We were able to do that last year. Right. Um, you know, uh, I really believe I stated that last year that this really, um, I believe, is a diamond in the rough. It's an untapped region that's on its way up high school polo starting here next year as an official high school sport, the venues that are here, um, and then also the, the commitment from the clubs that are here, the coaches for the kids. So it's really nice to be out here. We're, we're thankful that we were finally able to get out here. Thankful in some way because at least my understanding is, you know, there's really not much that is able to be done in California at this point as far as these camps. 
So that's one reason you're here, I suspect. Tell us a little bit about just your overall experience. You've been here for 48 hours or so, but you've had a chance to see the kids and see the, the local landscape. And how, 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 what have your impressions been? You know, to be honest, I yesterday I said to Merrill after the first day, it's like standing in front of the kids felt so weird because at home, you know, the last time I was in front of my team, we were all in tears. And I think that would call it May or March 10th or so um, when, when we found out our season was over. And for the better part of five months, I haven't been around a pool. I haven't been around any sort of water polo. And to stand in front of the kids yesterday and talk about water polo and, um, you know, uh, to, be, to be in the pool, it felt really awkward, you know. And also I felt... Uh, immediately, I remembered how hard our game truly is. I tried to do some demonstrations, and when you're out of shape, this is a brutal game. Yeah, you hopped in with them, so that's actually an extra special treat. There's four Olympians here, or at least two of them are, are uh, in line to become senior, men, senior men's national team members at the next Olympics. Um, and all four of you guys are hopping in the pool. I noticed that when, uh, when and you know, kids are all starry-eyed about this stuff. It's got all these Olympians in the pool. So, yeah, I can imagine. And, and then uh, just so that everybody knows, they all did a little workout after it was done, just to just to spice it up a little bit. So, um, but do tell a little bit about that. You, you mentioned it. Everybody was teary-eyed in the spring. Just what a jarring thing it was to have your cancel your your season just taken out from under you. Yeah, I mean. You know, fortunately, you know, I don't think the world, you know, for the most part, has ever gone through something like this. We're really, the carpet literally pulled from underneath your feet. And I don't think any of us ever understood the magnitude of how fast things can quickly change. And, um, you know, all I remember is, is we just had returned home from a, a, a trip. We played at Cal for our conference game and then at UOP. You know, our team was headed in such a great direction, culture-wise. Um, the commitment from the women, how they were developing our depth. Um, and I remember we had Monday off. By Tuesday, there was talk of um, no fans in the stands. By Wednesday, Irvine was pretty much saying, we don't know if we're going to play. We were supposed to play Irvine on a Friday night. By Thursday, Indiana, who was coming to play us on Saturday, wasn't coming anymore. And by Thursday night, it was done. It's all over. And Friday, we met as a team. You know, for me, the hardest thing is, is to, to really look at a group that's done everything that you've asked. They've committed to each other. No one has put themselves ahead of uh, anybody else in the program. They've literally come come along so much further than I thought. I thought maybe this was a four- to five-year uh, rebuild. Um, it was heartbreaking, yeah. you know, and, and it was really emotional. For me, um, there, there was nothing. I was powerless. There's nothing I could do to help this group of women that have done everything um, put this program in a better place. So it was real. It was raw. Um, I got emotional before they could even get emotional. And, you know, obviously that just started the, the, the chain of years. <laughs> yeah, it um, yeah. and, and, you know, the, the hard part is, is, you know, we always talk about you, you, you want to leave a legacy, right? You want to leave something no matter what you do in a better place than when you started. And that's what these women were headed towards. And it's not about just winning an NCAA championship. It's about creating a culture about putting a program in a chance, uh, a position every time to have success when they go out and play, and that's exactly what they were doing. And you know, the, the hard part is, is the the one the one thing I said to them, we could always look in the mirror because we absolutely, as a program as a whole, did everything we could that was in our power to get better. Yeah. Um, but the hard part is, is we didn't get to see who we could ultimately become, and that's the tough part. Well, that's the tough part, but I suspect, and I talked to Natalie Benson about the same thing, and she said that they were very emotional about this as well, is you have some athletes are basically they're not going to come back now. I mean, they don't, that this was their, supposedly their last season, and uh, and they're not coming back. I'm just, is that something that your team experienced as well? Yeah, we had two seniors, and you know, that's a tough choice. You know, the hard part is, um, you know, women's water polo is basically a spring sport, winter and spring sport, but, you know, that's a commitment of coming back to a whole year of school, yeah. right? And there's financial implications, there's academic implications. They've got jobs. Um, jobs, yeah. there's future implications, you know. And not everybody's doing this to be a national team player, and quite frankly, that's all right. Yeah. They, you know, um, and that's, that's a hard thing. And, you know, I think at the time, honestly, when this decision was being made, I don't think any of them would think that we would be where we are still with this, yeah. right? Because 
the, the reality is, is, is we're still in a pretty tough position. And what is going to happen? And is there going to be a winter and spring? And man, that would be really that that would be beyond heartbreaking, you know. And we had two girls. Emma Skelly decided that she was done. She had finished her courses, and 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 you know really um, was ready to go into the working world. And you know we have Brooke Maxim, who decided, you know what, she 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 wasn't done, so she decided to come back. Wow. And um, both decisions, um, I I understand, and we understand as as a group. And my hope that's the only group that ever has to make that decision. Unfortunately, now with the fall being off, you know, this thing is dragging into where they're, you know, the fall sports, it's a little bit different situation because maybe they could come back for a quarter, but you're going to see so much movement. You have kids that are fifth-year seniors. Are they going to come? That means them staying a whole nother year and coming back for five years, or excuse me, six years and a quarter. And, you know, we talk about you have four years, you have five years to have your best four years, right? right. You only get four chances. Yeah. And that's always been something we've talked about, and unfortunately that's not holding true right now, and that's tough. That leads into the men's season, um, because, and, you know, the, the women's season was uh, announced like a lifetime ago. Um, yesterday the Pac-12 announced that the season was going to be canceled for all their sports. The MPSF, is, as when I checked this morning, still had no statement about it. Is What can you share with us about that, if anything? Look, I, I know, uh, you know, we have meetings today. Um, usually we're, we're in line with the Pac-12, obviously, uh, Stanford, USC, Cal, UCLA, right. right? We all fall under the Pac-12 umbrella. Um, the reality is, is, you know, everything, all the decisions were made for what was best for our student-athlete welfare, right? From a medical standpoint, they just didn't have enough evidence and enough, I guess, um, data to show um, that it was the right thing to actually hold competition. Right. And, you know, I, I'm not going to go out and say that it's 100%, but i got to believe we're going to be following the same trend. Um, and, and the reality is, is if, if that's what the medical experts said for the Pac-12, then the DMPSF will follow in line. Right. Uh, Joe and I talked earlier this morning, Joe Linehan, who's my partner in this terrible podcast, and uh, talking about how I'm, I'm pessimistic. I, I think that this alters a lot of what's going to happen for the rest of the season. It's not just collegiately, but uh, it's going to trickle down, including things like Junior Olympics. But I'm hoping for sure, I'm hoping I'm wrong, because I would like to take my team back to, to California. Um, we talked about the MPSF, and Austin College, Penn State Barrett are recent additions to the MPSF. There's been a lot of discussion about whether or not that's good or bad or whatever. And I'm wondering if you have an opinion that you want to share one way or the other about the addition of those two programs, in particular Austin College, right, because it's the only NCAA program in the state of Texas. Yeah, look, I, I think you know, there's, there's two ways to look at it, right? You can think from the outside looking at why would those schools who are just starting or – you know, not at the highest level per se, yeah. as the, the Pac-12 schools want to join that conference. That just sounds crazy. Um, but the way I believe they look at it is, when their kids have an opportunity to come out and play in the MPSF championships, it's something that those kids will always remember. And you know, the MPSF championship tournament, you know. Most years, it's maybe the hardest tournament, even more so than the NC2A tournament, right. right? And for those kids to get exposure to that, for those kids to be a part of that, is something both the programs and universities have, have said numerous times it is, is incredible. You know, my hope is over a period of time that, you know, top-level players, you know, if we're going to, you know, speak frankly, they're probably not looking at a program like Penn State Barron or Austin College, right? right? Exactly. But the next years, if the time if, if these things go right and they really keep establishing themselves within this program, you're gonna want you're gonna start, I believe, seeing some kids who wanna have the opportunity to compete within the MPSF, even though they're not at a Pac twelve school. Right. So do those guys start picking off some of those recruits that are in the middle tier, um, because those kids simply want exposure uh, uh, to the Pac-12 school. Right. So that that is the hope, you know, for us, you know, straightforward. From a selfish standpoint, what they have made the decision to, to do by joining the MPSF has been critical for, for us to okay. have a conference and to have an AQ. There's no secret about that. Yes. It was a really tough thing when the, when those teams broke off from the MPSF. It left us, left us, left us excuse me, in a really tough position. 
Um, obviously, um, we didn't love that decision. We understood it. They had their own reasons for doing it, and we get it. Um, but, but really, uh, per se, the sacrifice that those two programs, Austin College and Penn State Barron, are making is critical for our sport, too. Because what we don't want to see is have the Pac-12 schools not have access to the, to the NC2A tournament, right. right? That's important, too. So we're really thankful for them. You know, we try to help them. I've had players from Penn State Barron who train with us in the summer. That's okay. so Cal is. Got it. We want to open those doors and provide those opportunities, just like I told Mark Lawrence at Austin College. If you have kids that live in the L.A. area and they want to train with us in the summer, they're more than welcome. Did not know that. Uh, that answers at least a little bit of one of the question I had, which is, you know, your responsibilities as head coach are obviously uh, all-encompassing. Do you even have a chance to step back during the MPS tournament and just consider what is going on on the Austin College Penn State Baron teams as they're competing against these teams that are, you know, traditionally the top four teams in the country? Yeah, you know, look, the... At those tournaments, it's such a quick turnaround that there's there's not a, a lot of time, right? But I I have taken uh, moments over the last couple of years just to watch for me the re- body reactions um, and facial expressions say so much. Those kids could not be most good, even when they you know they're not even I guess close on a scorecard. Right. But the facial expressions, the joy in their faces, it's awesome. They love watching the other games. It's great for them to watch the other game. Um, their their objective when they're coming to that tournament is obviously different than the Pac-12, yeah. right? It's a dogfight for the other, other team. Their objective is to go there, perform their best at the end of the year, get an opportunity to play a couple teams from the Pac-12, and then a lot of times they get to play twice against Austin. Those those games between Penn State Baron and Austin College have been awesome. They're intense, yeah. Awesome. And and they the joy that those kids are getting that's what's most important. They're they're not going there with NC2As on their mind, right. right? They're going there to have an opportunity at a high level tournament to get some good games, some games where they know the outcome already before they go in. Yes. But they're going to go and give their best, and then to see how the rivalry has started between those two programs within the conference tournament, Austin College and State Baron is awesome. But it's real battles, and it's only going to get better and better each year. All right, let's uh, shift. You you are a finalist for the national team job, the senior men's national team job in 2015. You know, we, I reported on that in Total Water Bowl at the time. Um, I'm not going to put you on the spot about your future considerations. I think I, I did that with Natalie Benson, by the way, because I think she might be in line for Adam's job when, whenever he decides that his, his illustrious career is over. I wanted to delve in hopefully quickly, and this is a big question, though. You have been involved in the sport for a long time. You are well aware of the debate that I kind of call the Dante versus Dayon, which is the should we be focusing more on an American style or should we be adopting the style of Europeans? Or is that even the proper question to be asking? Or is it is it not quite so simple? It's, it's not that simple. You know, and I have, you know, respect for both. I've known Dante for a long time. I mean, like his kids. Uh, success speaks for itself. You know, the game is constantly evolving. You know, you have one coach, Dante, who clearly wants to see more movement, less physical contact, and and I get that. Uh, But, you know, I think one of the things that we lose focus on as a sport is is some of the most important elements of our game are dictated by rules, right? And, more importantly, by referees. Some of the most important coaches in this world are referees. As the higher the levels you go, you, learn, you better learn how they're calling a game and how the, how the flow of the game is going. So I, I, I do. That's a tough question to ask because you have Dante, who has every right to be set in his beliefs of he wants to see a movement game. I don't think it's you know it, it's there yet on the international level. To be quite frank, I don't think we'll ever win in a static game against. Um, the Serbians or the because vertically um, they're better than us. Yeah. They're stronger. That doesn't mean that we don't have Dunkins, but from top to bottom, you know, you're just seeing a more physical person, uh, an opponent across the way, and they've always done a nice job in the vertical game. So I do think absolutely a mix and a blend of the two is really, really important. Um, I, I, I believe we somehow have to find a way to get them out of the vertical game, and that does take movement. We can't play static all the time. Um, 
you know, if, if we want to get into a war per se of lining up on the five meter or now the six meter line, right. yeah. it's five. Well, now it just changed Rinsey to a case two, yeah. but we haven't played that yet. Yeah. But if we want to get into a war of, you know, setting up shop on the six meter line per se, I'm not sure we're going to win that game too much, right? Um, so I, I, I think it's a blend of a, a, a blend of two. All right, go have lunch. Thank you very much for your time. Yep. Thanks, buddy. All right, I have to come to Dallas, Texas to meet a three-time Olympian, a MVP of the NCAA uh, championship game, and an NCAA champion as well at Pepperdine University. It's Merrill Moses. Thanks for taking a couple moments to talk with us. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we're talking on behalf of TX Water Polo, which is the other site that's a sort of parallel to Total Water Polo, and it focuses on stuff that's going on in the state of Texas. You're in the state of Texas, obviously. Why? Yeah. What are you doing here? Uh, we are doing uh, an Azevedo Water Polo Clinic, um, and Adam Wright and I are doing for the younger age group, 14 and under, that aren't in high school. Um, and then we have Max Irving and Matt Farmer doing the high school age athletes. And, uh, you know, just excited uh, in these uh, difficult and challenging times to be able to come to the state of Texas and do some water polo teaching, which is, uh, you know, it's good to see that Texas is back in the pool and up and running. You, we had, we just came from lunch with a bunch of people, and you mentioned, or either you or Adam said, it was good to be back in Texas. Now I know you were here in Houston for the Montenegro match before going off to the Olympics. Have you? What are the other occasions in, that you've been able? To uh, I've been in here uh, with Nyack in Austin. Oh yeah, uh, playing in tournaments, and uh, I just uh, always love the state of Texas. Uh, great people. Um, and I think it's awesome that water polo is growing here, going to become a high school sport, and would love to see it, uh, you know, hopefully go into some colleges in the near future as well. So you do coach at an NCAA level. Were you, and have you been aware of the UIL process in the state of Texas from Pepperdine, or is it something that, uh, that you've come to discover? Uh, it's just something I've come to discover yeah. because of the, you know, world of water polo. It's a tight-knit community. Yeah, it sure is. And, uh, you know, people are talking and, uh, you know, it's, it's great to see the growth of water polo and then obviously the growth in Texas. Uh, so just generically speaking, like obviously that it probably enhances the market of players that could be going to a place like Pepperdine. Again, we're talking generically. I'm assuming that uh, something like state sponsorship, sponsorship of the sport makes a big difference to a coach at your level because it gives it more legitimacy than it would otherwise. Um, I, I don't think uh, college coaches are necessarily looking at that, but it's going to give uh, a bigger pool of athletes to play, and which will, you know, there's a trickle effect, obviously, which will uh, help the clubs uh, be more successful, which in turn will give more video opportunity and also more chances at the Junior Olympics, right. uh, which uh, a lot of college coaches are at recruiting as well. Okay. Um, as part of this clinic, uh, you're obviously one of the greatest goalkeepers in U.S. history. Is your focus on goalkeeping, or you obviously have a very wide area of knowledge of the game? Um, I, I feel like that's uh, one of uh, the things that I bring to the game as a coach is obviously uh, my specialty in the U.S. Olympic team uh, was goalkeeping. Um, so uh, I definitely know a lot about the goalkeeping position, but uh, <laughs> so. you know, been a coach since 2012, the D1 program. Uh, you know, uh, and it's uh, made it very successful, and uh, I'm very excited about where uh, that program is going, uh, but uh, know every position of the game. So, uh, for example, today at the clinic, I uh, started off with the goalies, um, and Coach Adam had the field players, and then, uh, you know, when we started combining everyone, we were coaching all of them. Got it. Um, let's go, let's do a little backwards talk. Like, so 1997, that's a Pepperdine's one and only NCAA championship. For those who don't know about, basically there's a the stranglehold on the championships by the Big Four. Pepperdine was the last one outside the Big Four to win a, a championship. You're now part of the GCC, which really only started in 2016. Is the, has the establishment of the GCC tended toward helping those teams get to the championship game? I mean, obviously Pacific's been there twice, um, but maybe you have a different perception of like what is actually, has been the benefit of the GCC in general. Um, I, I just think that uh, 
you know, establishing the G Gold Coast Conference has definitely been a great thing for water polo in general. Um, because, like you said, uh, we're the last team to win it. Uh, UOP has gotten close. We were at NC2As last year and UOP, so two uh, out of right. four teams were at NC2A last year from the GCC. Um, and, uh, you know, if, I think that we're definitely a, a conference that is very successful with six powerful teams. Um, and it's just giving uh, recruits more of an opportunity to see now these other schools getting into the national championship games, which, uh, you know, a lot of kids pick schools because of that. So uh, I think it's, uh, you know, making kids aware. And uh, I think we're definitely established as one of the strongest conferences. You look at some of the teams in the Gold Coast Conference that beat the MPSF schools, you know, for example, we beat Cal last year, we beat SC, um, UOP and Santa Barbara uh, beat those teams numerous times as well. Right. So I, I, I just think um, the tides are changing. Yeah. What are your memories of that 1997 match? Because it's the only one, as from my recollection, that's ever been played in Florida, if that's, if that's my recollection. What do you remember about that entire tournament? Uh, it was just, you know, we had a special team that year. Uh, it's kind of funny, like, like you said, is, you know, pre-rankings before season, we weren't, uh, I think we were ranked fourth or fifth, I, I don't recall, but we had to knock everyone off. Um, we actually went undefeated um, into the final tournament and then lost our uh, last two games before NC2As, which I think was a good thing. It kind of woke us up and made us feel like we weren't invincible, but we, we had... We were strong on all positions and had depth. Um, you know, Coach Schroeder did a great job bringing the team together. Um, he's really good at that. Obviously, he's you know coached at every level, and I think uh, you know he's a big part of our Olympic success as well, which I'm sure we'll touch base about. But uh, I think the championship team uh, for 1997 with Pepperdine, one of the, the things that sticks out the most that I tell people, and this is kind of what we build Pepperdine's philosophy on, is it you know you're. You're going to win as a team. The best team is going to win. Uh, if you just play like a bunch of individuals, you're not going to be successful. Uh, we uh, beat USC 8-7 to seven in uh, sudden death overtime, and we had seven different players score. Um, so only one player scored twice, uh, and I believe I had somewhere around 14 blocks. Um, and so, you know, it, the true, you know, the true story of that is, is, to show how it was such a team a team win is they couldn't pick one MVP. They had there right. was three MVPs that That's game. Right. So I was one of uh, you know try MVPs, uh, which is pretty cool yeah. to see at a national championship level. Were you on your game that day? Is it something that do you remember that day? I yes, I remember. I, you know, it was one of those days where the, the ball looked like a beach ball for sure. Uh, I will say what, one of the scary moments though was it was we were tied and SC had the ball and. Literally, a man was wide open in front of the cage, and he got the ball, and then the buzzer rang, and then he scored after the buzzer, but luckily, you know, time ran out, and so we ended up going to overtime and winning the game. Um, was it, and I'm, I'm just curious about this, because there are no NCAA teams in Florida. Was it a little strange to be there, or? Uh... Um, I thought it was great. Okay. Uh, you know, it was, it was Obviously, you're in college and you get to go to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. It was great. Uh, you know, I also I think it, you know, kind of isolated any true advantage. Uh, you know, uh, SC had a good crowd. We had a good crowd uh, that traveled. Um, so it, it was good. And uh, I think uh, back then they just always had it north, south, east coast. Got it. Right. Um, okay. And we talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, the story is by 2004, you were out of the game. And then – and – which is probably shocking to some people because your career ended, well, it's not even, it's not over, it's not ended, but your Olympic career ended in 2016. But you were back in the fold by 2006. Tell us a little bit about that because um, what you've told me before was that your coach, Terry Schroeder, asked you to come back. What was your thinking at the time? Did you think, I can't, I'm not sure I can do this? Or did you think, I am really good and I've been overlooked. Uh, no, it's completely different. Uh, so I was one of the last people cut in 2004. Uh, you know, was devastated literally a month before the Olympics. Uh, thought my dream of being an Olympian was done. Uh, and ended up uh, going into the mortgage industry. Thought I was done with water polo. And 
was very successful at it. I ended up having a team of 14 people underneath me. Uh, it was when mortgages were, the mortgage industry was very lucrative yeah. and, you know, uh, was making great money. Um, and uh, two years later, uh, Ricardo Azevedo was the head coach, Terry Schroeder was the assistant coach. And when Terry uh, took the job, uh, him and Ricardo talked and they said, uh, you know, if we're going to get back to the podium, which is was our saying at the time, is get back to the podium uh, in 2008. Uh, but in 2006, they gave me a phone call and they said, Meryl, we'd like you to come back. Uh, you know, we, we want to get back to the podium, but we think we need the right goalkeeper to do that. Uh, my first thing was, I've been out of the water for two years. And uh, I said, it would take me minimum a year to get into shape. Uh, and, you know, Coach Schroeder's response was, that's okay, we have two. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we talked, uh, you know, he was my college coach. Uh, I respect him. He's like a father figure to me. Um, and it was one of my goals is to represent my country and, you know, bring home a medal for Team USA. And so I, you know, after a good conversation, went into my boss's office and um, told him that I'm going to go back to Team USA. He thought I was a little crazy, but I was close with him. And at the time, he's like, well, what are they paying you? I'm like, it's not a money thing. I make way more money here. It's not even close. Uh, I said, this has just been always a goal and dream of mine, and I have a chance to complete it, and I'm, I'm going to go back. So I, you know, as I always tell people, I put the suit and tie back in the closet and grabbed the Speedo out and got to work. And it took me a year uh, to get back, it, and it was not a, it, it was pretty painful in the yeah. beginning, uh, you know, because you guys know how it feels. If you don't, if you're not in the water for two weeks, you know, it feels like oil. So two years was uh, brutal, but um, I got the chance and nothing was handed to me by no means. Uh, there was great goalkeepers training and I had to beat them out. And, um, you know, uh, Brandon Brooks, great friend and was my teammate at the time. Uh, me and him battled probably uh, up until three weeks before the Olympics to earn the starting position. Right. And uh, I earned the starting spot for 2008 and accomplished uh, one of my dreams. And then our story continued from there. That was my conversation with the head coach of UCLA, Adam Wright, and Pepperdine assistant coach Merrill Moses. A uh, couple other things just to wrap up our, our day. Um, there were I have these other two interviews with Maxwell Irving of the national team, and he did say that Maxwell is a good choice. So I asked him whether he preferred Max or Maxwell. And uh, Chicago native Matt Farmer, who's uh, all, both of them are vying for spots on the Olympic team, and we cover in a lot of detail about how things have changed since the delay the, the, of the Olympics and how their training changes and what they're doing in the next year, basically. Um, so really interesting stuff. We'll have that later. Um, but what else do we got, Joe? No, but those are some hard, hard-hitting questions. Is it Max or Maxwell? Yeah. Hey, look, you have to uh, – what you want to do is you assume <laughs> – that everybody, everybody calls him Max. In fact, they, they were here. But I, but when he's on, you know, his game uh, film, you know, if you look at his game film, he's listed as Maxwell. So you have to be polite and ask people what they prefer. I'm t I am looking forward to hearing him. It's going um, to be the coach this week, and then next week's going to be the athletes as part of the podcast. And I'm sure you'll put, you'll throw together some pod specials in between times. So. I suppose, yeah. Uh, no, it'll be those guys, really. I mean, I think what we'll do is push out all of the interviews together and just uh, just uh, blast everybody. The the one thing that uh, I can warn you about, though, is I I talked with Matt Farmer in the lobby of the hotel where we're completely randomly staying at the same place. Like I mean, we did not coordinate this at all. And I go downstairs to get coffee, and there are the all the guys. So they're there. So the, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing because I cornered them and insisted on having an interview. But uh, he and I spoke in the lobby where they piped music, and I went back and looked, listened to the our, our, our conversation. And so anyway, you're going to get your ear full of Beatles and other stuff that was going on in the background. It's fair warning, you know. All right, good. All right, everybody, take care. And James, thank you so much. And don't forget to wash your hands and wear your mask. Oh, I know. I have my mask literally right here. Anyway, all right. Thank you, Joe. And thanks again to oh, all of the people that we're interviewing this week for taking the time to talk with us. And thank you for listening and telling a friend about the TX Water Polo Podcast. And special thanks to our fabulous donors who are keeping us afloat. And if you want to contribute, go to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give. And until next week, so long from Dallas. This has been a production of TWP Sports, LLC.